Hi everyone, I'm Carly. And I'm Cassie. And we just wanted to start off by saying thank you so, so much for all of the listens we've had so far on our very first episode. We are absolutely shocked to see all of the feedback and comments and excitement, and we couldn't be more excited ourselves. So thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. Yeah, thank you guys. So you really enjoyed last week's episode, and this week we're going to go into a bit of a different direction. This week we're going to focus on just one case, but it's a case that could impact a very wide area. So the case today, trigger warning, involves harm against children. So if you don't like listening to that, please don't listen ahead. My case today is a Dunblane school shooting. March 1996, it was a normal day at Dunblane Primary School. The children had arrived, they were all in their morning lessons. At 9.30am, there was 28 Year 1 pupils and three members of staff in the gym, ready for their PE lesson. Suddenly, a man enters through the door. Eileen Harold, who was the PE teacher in charge of the lesson, confronted the man and was suddenly injured in her arms and chest as the man started shooting rapidly and randomly. Mary Blake, a supervisory assistant, was shot in the head and both legs, but managed to get to the store cupboard that Eileen Harold was getting to, as well as four injured children. Gwen Mayer, who was a teacher of the class, was shot and killed instantly, along with one of the children. Between entering the gym and taking a few steps, the man had fired 29 shots with a pistol. He then moved up to the east side of the gym, firing six shots as he walked, and then fired eight shots towards the opposite end of the gym. This bit hurts me to say. He then walked to the centre of the gym and fired 16 shots at point-blank range at a group of children who had been hurt by his earlier shots. A year seven pupil who'd been walking alongside the west side of the gym exterior at the time heard loud bangs and screams before looking inside. He was shot at and injured by shattered glass before he ran away. From the centre of the gym, the man fired 24 shots in various directions. He opened fire towards a window near the fire exit, possibly at a teacher outside. Before he exited out of the fire door, and he was still firing shots. He shot towards a cloakroom of a library, injuring Grace Tweddle, who was a member of staff. In a mobile classroom closest to the fire exit, Catherine Gordon saw him firing shots and told her year seven class to get down on the floor. The man fired nine bullets into the classroom, striking books and equipment. One bullet passed through a chair where a child had been sat seconds before. The man then re-entered the gym and took out two revolvers. He put one of the guns into his mouth, pointed it upwards and pulled the trigger, killing himself. 
It had taken him three to four minutes since he had entered the gym. 32 people sustained gunshot wounds, 16 of whom were fatally wounded in the gym, including Gwen Mayer and 15 of her pupils. One other child died later on the way to the hospital. The first call to the police was made at 9.41am by the headmaster of the school. He'd been alerted to the possibility of a gunman on the school premises by the assistant headmistress who had heard screaming inside the gym and had seen what she thought to be cartridges on the floor. As Mr Taylor was on the way to the gym, the shooting ended and he walked into the aftermath of the gym. He ran back to his office and told the deputy headmistress to call for ambulances and this was made at 9.43am. The first ambulance arrived at 9.57am. A medical team from Dunblane Health Centre arrived at 10.04, which included doctors and a nurse. They were involved in the initial resuscitation of the injured. Medical teams from the health centres in Doon and Calendar arrived soon after. The A&E department at Stirling Royal Infirmary had also been informed of a major incident involving multiple casualties and they also sent out another team that arrived at the school at 10.15am. Falkirk and District Royal Infirmary sent a team and they arrived at 10.35am. By 11.10am, all the injured had been taken to Stirling Royal Infirmary for medical treatment. Although, as I've already mentioned, one child didn't make it. After examination, several of the injured were transferred to hospitals in Falkirk and Glasgow. I'm going to take a second to say I am really sorry if I start to tear up right now because this is heartbreaking to say. The victims were Gwen Mayer, 45, Abigail McClellan, Victoria Clydesdale, Sophie North, Ross Irvine, Mary McBeath, Melissa Corey, Megan Turner, Kevin Hassel, John Petrie, Joanna Ross, Hannah Scott, Emma Crozier, Emily Morton, David Kerr, Charlotte Dunn, and they were all aged five years old. There was also Brett McKinnon, who was six. Two days after the shooting, a vigil and a prayer session was held at Dunblane Cathedral, which was attended by people of all faiths. On Mothering Sunday, just four days after the shooting, Queen Elizabeth II and her daughter Anne, the Princess Royal, attended a memorial service in the same location. In October 1996, seven months after the massacre, the families of the victims organised their own memorial service at Dunblane Cathedral. More than 600 people attended, including Prince Charles. The service was broadcast live on BBC One. The investigation found that the gunman was named Thomas Watt Hamilton. And this man, I can only describe as a monster. He had been the subject of many complaints about his inappropriate behaviour towards young boys. He had briefly been a scout leader, but within months he had gotten complaints and his scout warrant had been withdrawn. He was blacklisted by the association. Letters written by Hamilton claimed that local rumours regarding his behaviour had led 
to the failure of his business in 1993 and in the last few months prior to the massacre. He had attempted to organise a boys club only to be reportedly met with persecution by the local police and scout movement. Six days after the shooting, Hamilton's body was cremated far away from Dunblane. In August 1997, two varieties of rose were unveiled and planted as a centrepiece for a roundabout in Dunblane. They were named Gwen Mayer and Innocence in memory of the teacher and her students. A type of snowdrop originally found in a Dumbling yard in the 70s was renamed Sophie North after one of the victims. The gym was demolished on the 11th of April 1996 and replaced with a memorial garden. Two years after the massacre, on the 14th of March 1998, a memorial garden was opened at Dumbling Cemetery, where Gwen and 12 of the children were buried. The garden features a fountain with a plaque stating the names of those killed. Stained glass windows were placed in three local churches in memory of the victims. The Dunblane Centre was opened in 2004 and was built with donations that had come from all over the world after the massacre. In 2013, all the locals gathered there around a telly to cheer on tennis star Andy Murray as he became the first British man to win at Wimbledon in 77 years. Andy Murray had been at Dunblane on the day of the massacre as an eight-year-old student. So after this tragedy, there was an outcry in the UK. Children should not go to school and not return. And this is something that is happening a lot in, the, in America and it shouldn't happen. So here's what we did. Lawyers, scholars and bereaved parents launched the UK's first organisation dedicated to gun reform called the Gun Control Network. At the same time as this was launched, another group was forming, spearheaded by a group of Dunblane mothers. They called themselves the Snowdrop Campaign in honour of the only flower in bloom on the day of the massacre. They prepared a petition to ban all handguns in the UK. This petition got 750,000 signatures in just 10 weeks and more than 1 million by the time it reached Parliament in the summer of 1996. As a result of the inquiry into the Dunblane massacre, the Cullen reports were made recommending that the government introduce tighter controls on handgun ownership and to consider whether an outright ban on private ownership would be in the public interest. The Home Affairs Select Committee agreed with the need for restrictions on gun ownership, but stated that a handgun ban was not appropriate. In response to the public debate, the Conservative government introduced the Firearms Amendment Act 1997 which banned all cartridge ammunition handguns with the exception of 0.22 calibre single-shot weapons in England, Scotland and Wales. After the next election, the Labour government introduced a new amendment to the Act, banning the remaining 0.22 cartridge handguns as well. This means this leaves only muzzle-loading and historic handguns legal, as well as certain sporting handguns. 
To help enforce these new restrictions, the government established a £150 million buyback programme that resulted in the surrender of 162,000 guns and 700 tonnes of ammunition. However, just because these gun laws are now in place doesn't mean that the parents who campaigned wasn't met with opposition. They were labelled over-emotional and some MPs said there was no need for a knee-jerk reaction to the ownership of guns. But because of the tenacity and the bravery of the parents and the public outcry that backed them, we have never had another school shooting in the UK since. All documentation regarding the inquiry have been given a closure order to prevent publication for the next 100 years. The official reason for the closure was to protect the identities of the children. The documents included previous police interaction with Hamilton, post-mortems of the victims and the gunman, medical records and profiles of the victims. After the school shooting in Parkland, Florida in March 2018, letters addressed to the survivors arrived from across the pond. Penned by those affected in Dunblane, they wanted to show solidarity and hope for the future. Some of the words written was, laws were changed, handguns were banned, and the level of gun violence in Britain is now one of the lowest in the world. There have been no more school shootings in the UK. Wherever you march, whenever you protest, however you campaign for a more sensible approach to gun ownership, we will be there with you in spirit. They also wrote, we want you to know that change can happen. It won't be easy, but continue to remind everyone of exactly what happened at your school and of the devastation caused by just one person with one legally owned gun. Never let anyone forget. There will be attempts to deflect you, to divide you, and doubtless to intimidate you. But you've already shown great wisdom and strength. Emma Crozier's older brother and sister are active campaigners in the US against guns and they use their sister's memory to fuel their mission. Jack Crozier said in an interview, eyes are going to be on Dunblane and we don't need eyes on Dunblane anymore, but we need to be looking at what is going on in other countries and America in particular. Cast your eyes over there and give them all the support that you can. Remember the grief that we went through in 1996. It's happening all the time in America. It's happening consistently every single year. Thanks to my auntie, who is a massive supporter of us, by the way, Carly. <laughs> she told me about Jack Roger, and she also told me about a documentary that was made in March this year, where Lorraine Kelly, who is an excellent journalist and telepresenter over here, who, he who heralds from Scotland. She was actually there reporting at the time of this going on. And she went back 25 years later. She created such a big bond with the parents. She was actually invited to one of the funerals and to speak at one of the memorials. She stated that one of the most heartbreaking and poignant images, other than the class photo of Mrs. Mayer and her class, 
was she went to one of the parents' houses. And again, I am going to get so emotional saying this. On the window of the living room, there's a handprint from the morning. Her daughter went off to school and her mother never cleaned that off because it is the last thing her daughter left her. It's her last memento of a life taken too young. It's reported that the law must be considered in conjunction with factors such as more comprehensive policing practices, i.e. mental health screenings for firearm licence applicants and evolving research. The UK has only suffered one other mass shooting since Dublin Blaine in Cumbria in 2010. In 2015, the UK's annual rate of gun deaths per 100,000 people was 0.2%. The US rate of the same year was 12.09%. In 2020, so just last year, more than 19,000 people in the US were killed due to firearms. If there's anything that the UK can do, is to give hope that this can be changed because no one should lose their life to a gun. First off, I want to say, Cassie, that was probably so... Oh, I mean, I'm sitting here like crying listening to it, so... <laughs> imagining like saying that um thank you for you know doing this spreading the awareness getting through it pushing through it because it's not easy it's not easy talking about this but what's even worse is being a f victim or you know a victim's family so the least yeah. we could do is talk about it right and, and spread the yeah. awareness that there is hope and you know referencing at, this case at, at the time of this i was seven years old so i was only one year older than these children when this happened and i will never forget my mum hating taking me to school because she was like this was a quiet town in scotland you know we lived in a quiet little town yeah. this suddenly became real it could happen anywhere and that's why the public was behind the Dumbling families and rallied to say we don't accept this anymore yeah it's it's great to hear like that there is hope from you know a, somewhere else that's experienced something similar but took a different path they took a different yeah. path and they had a different outcome and judging by that 12.9 percent, i think you said it was yeah that is terrifying to me when i hear that i it's terrifying imagining sending you know children to school and and everyone hears about this on the media but it, it when you actually think about it school should be that place where children go and feel safe and loved and they learn and that is their focus parents yeah. parents should send their children to school thinking that they are learning and being loved they should never have to worry about this and we know there are bad eggs in society but 
there are things we can do also as a society to prevent them from affecting us. Yeah. When I was growing up, the worst thing that could happen to you at school was you got bullied. Mm-hmm. And I was bullied. You know, I'm not a very tall person, so that came into same here <laughs> conversation a lot. But instead of bottling it up, I was very vocal about it. I would go home and I would find people to talk to, to say, this is affecting me. I'm getting to a point where I don't want to go to school so that things could be done about it. Mm -hmm. Because back then, mental health wasn't really talked about. And still in the UK, we're not as talkative about it as what people in the US seem to be. We're very stiff upper lipped and we'll just carry on. Mm -hmm. I think this is a good time to talk about the four points that I was mentioning. Um, So I, after we decided to do this episode um, on gun control and dumpling shooting, I was doing some research and I found an article from the Los Angeles Times written by Jillian Peterson and James Densley. And I think it's such a fantastic article because after all of these shootings that have been happening in the U.S., um, they've been studying them and they've noted four commonalities in mass shootings. And by reading these, I feel like it spreads so much awareness to what to look for as a society, how to prevent it going forward, even apart from what Cassie had mentioned, the, you know, the signatures and passing that. I I feel like that is going to take so much time and it is possible there is hope but in the meantime we can look for these things now so that's why i think it's important to talk about and the first one is childhood trauma all these mass shooters almost every single one of them had severe childhood trauma this includes parental suicide physical or sexual abuse neglect and severe bullying as cassie said a lot of us were bullied I was bullied. I had buck teeth. Okay. I had the worst <laughs> teeth and I was bullied for them, but came home crying to my mom. Oh, I had the train track. Yeah. Instance. Everybody, you no. know, <laughs> and it's not saying everyone has hardships in their life, but this, this yeah. seems to be significant childhood trauma in these shooters. Parents need to look yeah. out for changes in their child's behavior. They need to monitor social media now that we're moving into an age of technology. Yeah. And they need to be on top of their child so that their child feels safe telling them if something is bothering them. Because when children bottle up and they don't know how to express it, it comes out in some way. And at the moment, it seems to be that there's a spree of school shootings for this reason. And that's terrifying. Yeah, it is. I I read another fact that these shootings tend to happen in clusters because they well actually you know what i'm jumping ahead let me get to the second one the second point (laughs) is that the mass shooter had reached an identifiable crisis in the weeks or month months preceding the shooting so this can be anything from losing a job relationship rejection a loss a death something like that we so that fits in with exactly because he was wanting to find a way to be able to be in contact with young boys Mm -hmm. which the police and the scout movement knew 
he was a danger to them and they stopped him. And the only way he could see out that was to just annihilate children. Right, and, and that's, you know, horrible in itself. But the whole time you were saying that, that's what my brain was thinking. I was thinking this is right in line with yeah. the article. And who knows, with the first point, he could have had childhood trauma. And if he's sexually yeah. molesting little boys, a lot of patterns... It, it could be a learned exactly. behavior. And unfortunately, that's, again, results from bad parenting. Uh, but with the second point, if you know someone who has recently experienced, you know, losing a job, they, another thing in the article was they mentioned suicide to someone. And oftentimes these shooters do relay the information to someone that they're planning on doing this. So they may not say in the exact words, I'm planning on doing this on this day, but they may say, I'm going to do something really bad, or I really want to, you know, they may speak about suicide freely to someone and if that happens yeah be aware of it and try to take as much possible action as you can if that even means being an outlet for them let them vent let them talk as much as they need to and recommend resources for them like cassie had said before that at that time mental health it wasn't as talked about now i think it's on the rise but in my personal opinion yeah. it's still not talked about enough it's still not talked about enough because it's stigmatized. People are ashamed because of previous years. Like you look back in history, if you were depressed, if you had, you know, schizophrenia or any other that are common mental illnesses nowadays, you was put in an institution. So there's that inherited fear of admitting you have got mental health issues. Right. And that needs to change. It needs to be accepted. People need to be accepted. And that's in any argument, whether that's race, sexuality, faith, I don't care what, accept everybody and the issues right. go away. The, these people with these you issues, know, they didn't choose to be this way. Th this, is, this is just one of those things that comes with their life, unfortunately. It, it it's not fun they don't i'm sure if they could choose they wouldn't choose to be this way but it is what it is i mean i would love to be you know six right. feet tall there's a ton know, of things and to be able to eat anything i wanted but unfortunately my body is agreed I'm the same and, and i think that's exactly the analogy that we need mental health you yeah. cannot help what your brain is how your brain responds to the things that life throws at it and find a way so that you feel healthy enough to talk freely yes. and if you are a friend that's what if you're you a friend that doesn't suffer from these problems but you hear of someone encourage them to seek help to, you know tell them that's okay and it, yeah. make them feel like they're not going to be prosecuted for being i like to call it sick because to me, it is just like a physical sickness. Mental health can have the same effects. It is a sickness. I've become extremely drained and I will, if I'm feeling down, I feel like I just want to go back to bed, close my eyes and just Just like you want with the flu. It's like, to me, it's it's yeah. such a serious, serious thing. And it, it, it finally is being discussed more, but not enough. And I think we need to stop making people feel like they should be ashamed of it like they should be embarrassed of it any 
we should make people feel accepted just the way they are and then try to get them the help that they need because they may not feel strong enough for it. And there should be more resources for these people, for everyone. Just look out for each yeah. other, people. Like, look out for each other. And parents, make it known to your child. You will not accept them bullying Oh, others. God, yeah. Because that should be a big consequence. You know, it's... We, like I said in the last episode, we are here to raise the next generation. We are here to get these children ready for stepping up into society. Yeah. I have got such a big belief in create that honest, open dialogue with your child. Be honest. I tell him all the time, like I tell my child all the time, do not call other people names because you know how it feels how does it feel and I make my child tell me how it would make them feel to be called a name and then I say and now think how you would make other people feel if you did that to them teaching empathy Mm -hmm. exactly yeah that's your job as a parent do that if your child is caught bullying don't feel ashamed and try and hide from it. Accept it's happened. Step up. Put consequences in place so that your child learns and your child becomes an accepting person who is there for other people when they are needed. Yes. It, was, it sounds it so simple, but yet it seems so hard. I was talking to my little brother over the weekend. Um, it's um, Easter weekend and he was... I can't remember how we came up on the topic, but bullying came up and I asked him, I didn't ask like, are you being bullied? But I kind of always ask him questions just to see how his life is going. And he had mentioned something to me that um, there was a, there was a group of special needs kids in his school. And he said, they get treated like royalty. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, first of all, they're really cute. (laughs) I have a sister with Down syndrome. So my (laughs) whole family has a soft spot for anybody with down syndrome you know it's just they're such genuinely sweet people but yeah oh my gosh that's my favorite quote that's so funny you said that yeah she's perfect (laughs) but i remember when i was pregnant they asked me if i wanted to have um the test to see if my baby Mm -hmm. would be at risk of being down syndrome although i Mm -hmm. hate that terminology and my dad asked me are you going to have the test and I said no and he said why I said because this is my baby regardless of mm-hmm. whatever happens I don't need a test to yeah. you know prove that the outcome I, I don't won't need change anything and anything. My, <laughs> no and my I remember my dad breaking down and telling Aww. me he was proud of me for saying that because that showed him I had learned exactly that's the key and (laughs) this is the message it is and when my brother told me that i said what do you mean he said no like no one messes because i think the topic was fighting in school and bullying in school and he said no one ever picks on the children with special needs and i said well that's good (laughs) i said but you know no one should be picked on (laughs) he was like yeah but i remember thinking that's sad to me that my brother thinks, well, they're treated like royalty because they're not bullied. Yeah. You, you, 
That's not being yeah. treated like royalty. That's being treated with respect. Every single student in there, special needs or not, should be treated with respect. There should be no bullying at all. I don't yeah. care if you have special needs or not. No. Now give the children with special needs, you know, I'm the extra resources they need to succeed. Absolutely. But it, it just made me sad hearing him say that because I'm thinking that's not royalty. That's basic human rights. And you all should have that. Yeah. And kids need to learn that. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, yeah. I got off track there. But the third point is <laughs> these mass shooters, they seek validation for their motives. So when they see, and in the US, we're really bad at this, when they see on social media and the news and all that, there's a difference between news coverage reporting that something happened, but then the talking keeps happening and it keeps happening and it's all you see and it's all you see yeah. and it's constant. And they say, oh my gosh, look how much, you know, popularity and fame this guy got look at all this it's not popularity and fame it's just people talking but they want to be talked about yeah it gives them another reason so i was researching and i found this campaign people are doing called no notoriety hashtag no notoriety and it's where if one of these things happens you don't keep talking about it you don't let it yeah. you know which sounds awful because it's it, you know, we are talking about it now, right? But what it, what it's saying is don't yeah. focus on a specific event like so much and keep talking about it over and over so that other people who may be in these similar situations think I'm going to be that. That's why these are clusters. And this is why we've done this particular episode. It wasn't about the shooter. I mentioned him briefly, but he's, I don't want to focus on him. I want to focus on the victims because they were completely innocent and I want to focus on the families because of the mm -hmm. good that they generated and a lot of true crime podcasters have been hit with a wave of negativity because they are talking about it but me and Carly are trying to highlight lessons that we can learn from from these crimes and I can't see not at all. The UK thing. is living proof that this works. Like, it's not like she's saying, oh my gosh, there's no hope, but listen to this case. She's saying, listen to what happened and look how we actioned this. Look how we responded to this and take it as an example. She's saying this to, you know, spread the awareness that there is hope, there is possibilities, and we can save lives. We can. And it's not just we're saying, just look at us because we're great. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying these families who was majorly hurt in the worst way are still helping. They are coming over to America and standing alongside survivors of school shootings. They are helping people to form and process campaigns. They are standing alongside Americans and saying it wasn't right in our country and it's not right in this country. And that's what we're I think to it's highlight. brave to highlight. I think those parents, and by getting that signed and passed, do you know how many lives are have probably been saved? I can't even imagine, but the fact that our children can go to school and they don't have to pass through, you know, screeners. They don't have to carry transparent school bags. They can go to school yes. and be children. That says a lot. And that's all I can hope 
is in the future for America's children. Yeah, agreed. That's all we can hope for at this point. And learn how to communicate with each other, treat each other with respect, have an open ear, listen to each other, listen to other people and react accordingly. You know, don't neglect it. And a lot of people I read, and also I've experienced this, they don't want to raise a red flag to someone because it, it, as a, right now in the U.S., if, if someone heard, you know, that someone was saying these things, they're probably not going to call that into the police because what are the police going to do? They didn't do anything wrong yet. They didn't do anything. But yeah, we one of these movements of this study is they want to put these plans in place. If you hear this red flag language, I don't even think that's what it's called. I just made that up. But that's what I think of it as. Red flag well, yeah, I like it. It's accurate. Language. It's red flag language. And it's if you hear these terms, if you hear these things and you aren't sure what to do about it, even if you're, you know, to call this line and report it. I mean, that to me would even put something in action. You look at when a danger is brought to an airline. Right? Someone phones up and says, I've heard this person talking about your airline and mm-hmm. I'm scared something's going to happen. That airline goes into high risk and they search everything. Why is it not the same with gun violence? Yeah, I, I I agree. To get a job, you have to have your social media screened. You have to... So why is that not the, the question I've, getting a gun? you know, asked a million times? I, from what I've heard, over here, it was a law, whereas in America, it's a constitution. People see it as that's my human right to have a gun to protect myself. Now, in England, in Scotland and Wales, in the UK, we're not saying you can't have a gun. We're saying, give us a good reason why you need a gun. Show us that you are responsible enough. Show us that you are not mentally impaired to the point that you could be a danger. No, you have to go through mental health. I think health that's training. fair. I don't think just that. I think that's fair. And you also have to show you've got responsibility, so you've got somewhere secure to put it, so yeah. no one else could access it. Mm-hmm. Just things like that. Put policing strategies in place so that people. It's not easy to get a gun. You are solely responsible and you are the only one that can access those guns and have a good enough reason to have a gun. That's the only thing we're asking for is that that gun is not able to get into the hands of someone that wishes harm. That was my fourth and final point. (laughs) No, no, it's perfect. It's perfect because it leads right into it. The fourth commonality, and this is kind of obvious if you hear it, is shooters all had the means to carry out their plans. Meaning, they had weapon access, obviously, if they're using it. But this means legal or illegal access to weapons. But this is where it comes into play. Gun control. I I am in America as we speak. I absolutely believe that we have the right to protect ourselves with a gun if you pass through screenings. And by screenings, I do not mean the screenings we have in place today. 
I mean stricter gun control, stricter screenings. It is so important. I read an article and unfortunately there's been so many shootings. I don't even know which one this was from, but one of the shooters on his social media, the day he carried out his plan, he had put up a Facebook status that said, I'm going to shoot up the school. And, and this is where social media moguls need to be putting stricter things in place. No idea. Why the worst part is it had been for weeks. Flag. It had been for weeks up until the shooting. And he bought a gun. He was, I think he was 18 or 19. And he had bought a gun after he had posted these things. So it's not like this was, you know, he bought the gun, everything was fine, and then he posted it. It was already, there was red flags all over his social media pages. And it's it's incredible to me that a job can screen you, a job can find out all these things about you, but to get a gun, you know, and that's, I really think it comes down to money. I think it comes down to the, the American yeah. way, which is everybody deserves a gun, you know. It, that's not true. That's not true. It's It's not the gun that kills someone it's the person behind it i get that people yeah. want to protect themselves but how do you feel knowing you bought a gun to protect yourself but yet didn't maintain mm -hmm. the security on that gun somebody else got hold of that and murdered yeah. innocent children that's what you need to think about we are not saying we're taking away your right to have a gun. We are not saying we are taking away the right to, you know, protect yourself. We are saying you need to step up and make sure that that it needs to be taken more seriously. Happen. Go into your children's rooms, you know, pry into their life. I don't care if that sounds annoying. There are children, and especially with social media these days and the bullying and these horrible things these kids go through. And, you know, you're their parent. Pry. I don't care if, if, if you feel annoying. Yeah. Have, as you raise that child, raise them to have that open dialogue. Because if you can go in and say to them, can I just check your social media? And they know why you're doing it. Yes, as teenagers, yeah. we're probably going to be like, uh, no. But if you can say to them, is there anything worrying about you? Is there anything worrying you? And they say to you, well, mum, so-and-so put this on their social media the other day. That means that you could possibly mm -hmm. help avoid something. And I don't care if you seem overdramatic. If you walk on the school and saying, this person's, you know, put, I'm going to shoot up the school. And it gets found that they were just trying to act hard on social media. Oh, yeah. I don't care. I would rather be overdramatic then Agreed. to lose my child. I totally agree. And possibly schools need to be having mm -hmm. social media lessons to highlight these things like bullying and predators and, you know, totally like we said, like, red flag language. Social media, since it's been on the rise, I mean, when I was in middle school, we didn't have social media. It really wasn't a thing. So this is definitely, obviously everyone knows more recent. And with the way it's going, we need to put education in place for what 
not to do, what to do, how to respond to something, how to not respond to something. And then you shut your stuff down and just go talk to someone that you trust. And I just think it, it, it it's worth being talked about because all that social media is doing is providing yeah. more methods of communication to these kids. And that can be fantastic in some ways, but it can also be detrimental in others. I just wanted to mention yeah. that as we're filming this, it's April 5th, 2021, Easter weekend. And here in the U.S., in Chicago, this weekend alone, there were 30 shootings. 30 shootings. 34 people were shot and eight were killed. I, Every I time I check the news, there was a shooting. March 22nd, grocery store in Boulder, Colorado, 10 people killed. March 16th, Atlanta, Georgia, eight people killed. And that was the one where the women in the spas were killed, Asian American women. And I don't care what the reason is. I don't, I don't care. This can be amended. It can be fixed. It can be. People don't deserve to die because of somebody else. That's the reason we have law enforcement. They choose your punishment for doing something wrong. It's not for the general public to decide yeah. people's fate. And I think a big thing that we as a society need to stress, if someone is having mental health issues, if someone is having these violent, angry thoughts and feelings that they want to do something and you want to come forward and get treatment for it, you shouldn't be condemned for that. You shouldn't be punished for that. Let that part, you know, that's no. what I think. No. So many these people are scared. They're like, I'm having these thoughts. I can't come forward. I'll get in trouble. We need to lessen that. We need to let people know you will not get in trouble. Let's give you the help you, that you need. Let's do absolutely everything that we can. And everybody wins. If you look at women that have just had a baby and they get postnatal depression, a lot of women mm -hmm. have thoughts of harming themselves or harming their children. And it's because of the hormone shift in the body why this is happening these people didn't want to hurt their children and i know myself i suffer from postnatal depression i didn't want to hurt my, my child but i wanted to hurt me i didn't think i was worthy and i remember going to the doctors and sitting there and crying telling him i'm not a danger to my child but i feel like he you know they would be better off without me and the doctor didn't look at me once. He passed me a piece of paper mm. with the counsellor's number and said, phone them. And this is when people are being failed. People are trying to ask for help because they are realising what they're feeling, what their urges are, are not normal. And they are asking for help through the relevant people and they are being let down so we are not blaming any one group we are not blaming parents we are not blaming schools we are not blaming the government we are not blaming you know health workers we are saying everybody has an element of responsibility and you need to take that seriously so that people who are asking for help can get help and we can hopefully one day get to a point where children can go to school safely, where people can go 
to the spa, to the grocery store. They can do what they need to do in their lives and they don't have to worry about someone Absolutely. harming them. Couldn't have said it better myself. Red flag, red flag language. <laughs> How can it be so simple? Red flag, red flag language. It is so simple, but yet people are making yeah. it so hard to deal with. Here's to hoping for the future. Here's to hearing, and actually Cassie, that made me feel like there was hope, honestly, hearing that. Cause I, I, I never knew that that was the, the uh, course of events. Like I didn't know that this all stemmed from one event, you know? Here it's, it's common, unfortunately. Yeah. And it shouldn't be. No, it shouldn't ever be. Mm -hmm. Oh, there was another shooting today. <laughs> you know, that's not right. Any kind of harm to human people I put any harm to any living thing. Yeah, and it's eye-opening to me normal. because as I say this to you, I'm before we recorded this, I was looking up recent uh, shootings and I had a tons to pick from. And I'm like, this is sad that I have this many to pick from. And I was thinking, okay, I'll say this and this. And then as I'm saying them to you, you're like, this is not okay. And I know it's not okay. I, I know that, but no. To hear your reaction to it, it's like, oh, she's really not used to this. Like, literally, here, I turn on the news, there's another shooting. No. You almost have to numb your mind to adapt to the news these days. It sucks the life out of me. Like, I can't no, even look right. at it. And that's sad to me. Because there's things that can't be prevented that should be reported yeah. about. Natural disasters, fires, um, covid you know well that technically in some ways can be whatever we won't go there but there's things that we can <laughs> not prevent that i think should be talked about but this one we can and i just think i don't know yeah. i'm proud of us for talking about this it wasn't easy i think it's very controversial i think we, no. we did a good job it you was a very hard-hitting thing like i know a lot Lots of people look at true crime podcasts and they're like, oh, here they go, talk about another case. They don't realize we have to research these cases. Right? We have to know our facts mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, we're telling people about this. And watching these documentaries on this and reading the cases and seeing the pictures of these beautiful little boys and girls and their courageous teacher who died saving, well, trying to save them, and there was part of the documentary was it showed the parents they heard on the news that there'd been a shooting at the school and there was already journalists that had been like turning up and there are parents that have got younger siblings in push chairs mm -hmm. and they are running down the street towards the school to find out and one parent said they was all sat in a room and they were being taken out one by one to a different room oh my God. to be told whether their child was alive or dead. And having to watch that and having to hear that, my heart just shattered because I couldn't imagine how it must feel as a parent to have to go through that. I mean, one mother described the guilt she had because her daughter had a rash that morning and she wanted to keep her off to take her to the doctors and her daughter said no mummy because I've got PE and she let her go to school and she never came home and 
these parents, you know, they've felt suicidal, they've had to move away, and, but yet, out of all that, and it's going to come up time and time again with English cases, because it's the one thing we are good at. Through this disaster, through the devastation that this man caused, these families and the UK public rallied together to bring something good. And it's happened throughout the years. Whenever something has happened in the UK, the public has rallied and we've created something good. And I want to thank all the families of Dunblane that are still ongoing and are now helping America to campaign to make schooling safe for the children of now. Because the children of 1996 didn't get to grow up. They didn't get to have families. They didn't get to have a life. And no child deserves that. So, here at Wine and True Crime, we are not going to shy away from telling these hard topics. If there's something that needs to be said, if there's a lesson to be learned, we it's time to have to some of these uncomfortable that. That conversations, guys. So, yes. And whether you agree, whether you disagree, we invite you to contact us. We want to hear your thoughts. We want to create this uncomfortable discussion in the hopes that some change can happen yes. in the right way. Email us, wineandtruecrimepod at gmail.com. You can message us on Facebook, Instagram. We even have a TikTok. We have everything. So reach out to us. Um, I think we've said our piece today, Cassie. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think... <laughs> I think mm-hmm. we're going to go to bed Worth extremely it. drained tonight. Me too. But I'm glad. I'm glad we did it. Uh, so from next week, guys, we're going to be changing the format slightly. Um, we know a lot of you said that the first episode was slightly too long. So from next week, we're going to give you two episodes a week. You are going to get the US episode. And then you will be getting the UK episode on a different day. And we will let you all know on our social media pages. Yeah, that's two episodes a week. Double the delight. That's two treats in one week for you guys. So same uh, amount (laughs) of cases, just, you know, spread out more so that you guys can have them not as long. Um, Exactly. So thank you so much for your feedback. I think we're really learning as we go and everyone's helping us with that. So... Thank you. Keep it up. And we cannot wait to talk to you next time. Bye.